Well, uh, take your Bibles and uh, turn with me to, to Mark chapter 9, Mark chapter 9, as we uh, continue in our series uh, together. And, uh, and at the luncheon, by the way, you'll get to hear not only more from this uh, wonderful couple, but uh, from our, our mission team as well and uh, their experience uh, in Poland this summer also. <clears throat> well, when you come to Mark chapter 9, <clears throat> it is about, um, about six weeks uh, before the crucifixion of Jesus takes place. Uh, they're in an area called Caesarea Philippi in the northern north of Galilee, um, They're they at the base of Mount Hermon, uh, which is about 9,000 feet high. And, and Jesus leaves nine of the 12 disciples in the valley below and, and, and the, at the bottom of Mount Hermon while he takes three of the disciples, Peter, James, and John, up to the top of the mountain. Again, 9,000 feet high. So you can imagine that as they arrive there, that Peter, James, and John are trying to catch their breath. And as they look over toward Jesus, they see that he's already praying. And typically, when they would see him pray, he'd be on his knees. But on this occasion, he's standing with his arms outstretched, his face lifted toward, lifted toward the heavens. And suddenly, I mean, like something out of a science fiction movie that you might see, his heavenly form begins to be displayed in, a, in dazzling brightness, like as bright as lightning, emerging from the veil of his flesh. Glorious exposition. And, and as, as that glorious heavenly being is being revealed, I mean, the disciples are, are, are trying to adjust their eyes when all of a sudden they see two others standing there with him, that they are, are, are somehow able to identify as Moses and Elijah, two men that had been dead for hundreds of years. And as they watch this takes place, I mean, Peter, for the first time in his life, is speechless. <laughs> and, but, so he finally just utters, oh, Lord, uh, why don't we make three uh, lean-tos and you guys could just camp out up here? <laughs> well, no sooner had he said that, and suddenly the entire area was enveloped by a luminous cloud as bright as that same brightness that, that had been revealed in, in the glorious being of Christ, the same brightness. And as they're engulfed by this cloud, they hear this thunderous voice come out and say, this is my son. And I so love him. Listen to him. Man. God the Father, knowing what, that the cross is, is looming dead ahead. It's as though he gives God the Son a huge, enormous hug and this declaration of these wonderful words of affirmation and assurance and encouragement. Well, the disciples are, are looking around, their eyes uh, rubbing their eyes, and, and then we, when they finally are, are adjusted once again, all, all they see then is the form of Jesus. It's just Jesus. Well, can you imagine that kind of spiritual high? <laughs> I, I mean, just think about the, the most amazing, most wonderful spiritual high that you've ever experienced, whether that was in a camp, whether that was uh, at, at a retreat like this weekend, whether that was in church at some point, whether that was in a personal quiet time, most amazing spiritual high that you have ever experienced, and multiply that times a gazillion. Then you get an idea what Peter, James, and John were experiencing. And yet, down from the mountaintop, 
I mean, as wonderful as that spiritual high was up on the mountaintop, down they had to come to the valley below where there was a disaster in the making. I mean, this is, it's amazing. Again, this is just as Jesus is about to begin his final journey to Jerusalem with the destiny of the cross. He comes down from being up on that wonderful mountain, glorious experience on the mountaintop. He comes down to encounter every single kind of opposition that he had experienced for his entire ministry. Opposition from religious leaders. Opposition from unbelieving, unbelieving crowds. Opposition from demonic evil spirits, opposition, they're all waiting for him at the bottom of the mountain. It's like, it's like the, the devil's, you know, is, is on the attack big time at this point. Well, we begin our story we're reading today in verse 14 of, of Mark 9. When they came to the other disciples, those the other nine that had been left at the bottom of the mountain, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about? He asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Now, Mark paints a very vivid picture for us as to what's taking place here. Here's this desperate father who brings his son to Jesus, hoping that Jesus is going to heal him. Jesus is not there, and so he asks the disciples instead, and they're unable to do so. And then the religious leaders, again, looking for opportunity to oppose Jesus any way they can, they jump all over this, and so they they start giving the disciples all kinds of grief, all kinds of fits about their failure, obviously trying to use this to discredit Jesus' ministry. Well, Jesus says to his disciples standing there, and perhaps even to all those that were gathered around him at that point, verse 19, you unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, frustrated by their collective lack of faith. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Now understand, Jesus is not saying, hey, I I cannot wait to get rid of these guys. No, he's referring to the fact that he knows just how little time that he has left with them. He knows that time is short. Are they ever going to get it? Are they ever going to fully open their hearts to him and, and learn about faith? I don't know about you, but not it. I know at this point I would, have, I would have just wanted to throw my hands up and get out of there, but not Jesus. What does he do? Immediately he steps in to help. Verse 19, last part of verse 19, bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the Spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Now, the moment that this evil spirit comes into the presence of Jesus Christ, he, he viciously attacks the boy yet once again. Verse 21, Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? How long? It's really a very compassionate question on the part of Christ because he's given this this desperate father the the opportunity to share, pour his heart out as as to just how painful of a struggle this has been with his child. He says, from childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. Demon has tried to kill the boy in the past, and he seems to be making one final attempt right here. 
let's take just a moment and talk about this phenomenon that's known as, as demon possession. Because I think that there's a lot of questions out there and a lot of misunderstandings. Demon possession was, was real then, and it's, and it's very real today, very much so. I don't have time to go into a, a lot of detail, but uh, years, several years ago, my youngest daughter, Rachel, was uh, with a mission group in Kenya. They were in a, a Muslim girls' school there ministering, and they had an, an, a very disturbing encounter with a demon while they were there. No one knows exactly why, but demon possession is much more prevalent in other places around the world than it is here in the West. I, I, I could, it may be simply be because people in the West don't need demons in order to achieve new lows each and every day of evil behavior and activity, do we? But let, let's clarify just two things in this regard. First, it is not possible. And understand this, it is not possible for a genuine Christian to be possessed by an evil spirit. A genuine believer is possessed by who? By the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is very jealous about and very protective about his territory. He will not allow that to happen. And then second of all, also know that demonic power is very limited. It doesn't begin to compare. It's no match for the power of Jesus Christ. 1 John 4, 4, but you belong to God, my dear children. The Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, who lives in you is greater than the Spirit who lives in the world. Now, this whole matter is an interesting subject, but, but don't spend a lot of time studying this. Spend your time studying the person of Jesus Christ. When it comes to spiritual warfare, here's just a couple of verses that are all you need to know. James 4, verse 7. So humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. He will flee from you. Ephesians 6, 10 and 11. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. One of those famous words of Forrest Gump, that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> okay. Back to Mark 9. Once again, as Jesus compassionately engages this boy's father in conversation, the man painfully describes all the terrible problems his son has had to, dealt, has had to deal with at the hands of this insidious spirit. And then he says this to Jesus, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus. I mean, Jesus would have much rather heard the words, I know you can. <laughs> if you can, said Jesus. Okay, here we go. Top 10 alert, right? He said, everything is possible for one who believes. What does Jesus mean when he says that? Everything is possible for one who believes. Be very, very careful with this verse. This is one of the most abuse, abusively misinterpreted verses in all of Scripture. Over the years, people have ripped it right out of its context here and have made it the, the basis and justification for saying that any of your wishes can come true if you just have enough faith. And false teachers will declare, just believe it and God will achieve it. And if you'll send me a $10,000 check, I'll help make sure that he does. 
This is not what Jesus is saying here. Not even close. Jesus is simply inviting and encouraging this man to trust him, to trust him. Faith is a a somewhat mysterious thing in Scripture, isn't it? It it is, because God is sovereign, and he will do whatever he chooses to do, whether faith is present or not, right? But the general principle throughout Scripture is this. God most often chooses to work when faith is present in at least one individual, when faith is being applied or engaged in by at least one person. That's when we most often see God work. Another general faith principle in Scripture, the size of your faith does not determine the size of God's work. See, some people try to make God's strength dependent upon the strength of our faith. They'll say that if your faith is strong, then Jesus will be strong. So that puts what? All the pressure on you to make sure that that you're generating somehow, generating enough faith. You know, know, that's really their way of dealing with the why question, is it not? Because if you ask God to do something that he does not do, then the reason why becomes what? Because you didn't have enough faith. You didn't have enough faith. That's a crazy, that's crazy wrong. That is faith in faith. That is not faith in Jesus. We do not control God by faith. Look at this picture on the screen. You do that? This is, um, um, anybody recognize that? <laughs> it's not the first thing that comes to mind, okay? That is a mustard seed. A mustard seed. Remember what Jesus said about mustard seeds? He said, if you have the faith, if you have faith that is the size of a mustard seed, that tiny little seed, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. The size of your faith does not determine the size of God's work. And what we're about to see happen in the rest of this story is proof positive. Jesus said to the boy's father, again, everything is possible for one who believes. We read next in verse 24, immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. I mean... Can you hear the depth of this father's pain? Can you hear him struggling for just some kind of hope? Jesus, I'm trying to believe, but please help me with my unbelief. I have watched this happening to my son for so, so long now, and it it just keeps getting worse and worse. I've just become hopeless. Then I heard that, that you were nearby, and so I, I, I brought my son to you, but you, were, you, were, you weren't there. And so somebody said, ask your disciples. I asked them, and they failed. Jesus, I'm his father. I, I'm supposed to do something, but I'm completely helpless. Yes, I want to believe, but Jesus, help me with my unbelief. Have you ever been there before? Maybe you've been there with one of your own children. 
Jesus, I want to believe, but help me with my unbelief. Maybe with one of your grandchildren. Maybe with a spouse. Maybe with a friend. We've all been there at one time or another, have we not? I am so grateful to this broken father for having said it so well for all of us. Oh, I want to believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. And so how does Jesus respond to him? Does he tell this hurting father, hey, man, what do you mean? What's this about unbelief? You need to go get your act together, and then when you get to the point where you have absolutely no doubt whatsoever, then come back, and only at that point can you ask me to heal your son. No. Jesus doesn't respond like that to anybody. Never. He's our Savior who said in Matthew 5, 4, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who recognize they are spiritually helpless, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Well, Mark tells us exactly how Jesus responded. Verse 25, when Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. The boy was completely and totally healed. As an old friend of mine used to say, Jesus kicked the nightlife out of the devil yet once again. (laughs) Well, in addition to the crowd... Uh, Who else was standing nearby watching all this? Probably pretty sheepishly at at this point, but they were still watching. The disciples. And so we read in verse 28, after Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? Why couldn't we do that? Well, once again, Jesus does not berate or belittle them. He replied in verse 29, This kind can only come out by prayer, by prayer. Now, what does he mean by that exactly? Did you notice Jesus did not utter any kind of prayer, did he? He didn't utter a prayer as he was casting out the demon. He's not talking about a a prayer that is supposed to be spoken in the process of part of some ritual of, of carrying out this exorcism as though there's some magic formula, magic prayer formula that's necessary in the process. What is he talking about? Jesus is talking about a daily practice of prayer. A daily practice of prayer, we might call it staying in good prayer shape. And we talk about being in good physical shape, we'd call this being in good spiritual shape, being in good prayer shape. You know, maybe you've noticed this year in particular, it seems like in the football season, uh, that the prevalence of injuries is just so high right now. And so as a result of that, the role of a backup has become much more important. Most visibly, of course, is the backup quarterback, right? Whether you're talking about college level or or pro level, the backup quarterback. 
Well, let me ask you. If a backup quarterback is not in playing shape, if he's not in good physical condition, if he hasn't been practicing, <clears throat> suddenly he's called into a game, the first stringer gets hurt, he's called into a game as the backup, what's going to happen? <laughs> not much. I mean, it's a disaster waiting to happen. With Jesus still upon the mountain, the disciples were called upon to be his backup, to come into the game, to be his backup. And apparently, they were not prayerfully prepared to do so, and it was a disaster. As followers of Christ, he wants us to be and remain, to stay in good prayer shape. Good prayer shape. Be prayerfully prepared to act in faith when, when you have the opportunity to, to get into the game, if you will. When there's an opportunity there to jump in. When you're, in fact, you will have opportunities almost daily, almost daily, where you'll be prompted by the Holy Spirit to act in faith, to speak a word or to do something that you will only be aware of if you are in prayer shape, if you have been prayerful, if you are prayerfully prepared. Now, there have been far too many times in my own life where I, I found myself at, at the end of a day and the end of a week and, and looking back, thinking back to things, various things that have happened and realizing, man, I sure missed an opportunity there. I wish I had, had thought to say this. I wish I had thought to, to do this. And I just missed it. And I'm convinced that if I'd been more prayerfully prepared, I wouldn't have missed it. Since prayer is not something we do only in cases of emergency. Faith is our humble recognition of our need for God. And prayer is the primary way in which we exercise and energize that faith. We fight the battles of life and ministry by prayerful faith. Everything is possible for one who believes. Let's pray together. Lord, uh, perhaps even now at this moment, um, you may be reminding some of us, maybe even many of us, of opportunities that we've had even, even this past week of speaking a word, of doing something that could really have made a difference in somebody's life for Christ? Had we just been more prayerfully prepared to step out in faith? Lord, we thank you that you invite us, just like you invited that desperate father to trust you. We thank you that you invite us to trust you daily, throughout the day, by exercising and energizing our faith prayerfully. Lord, we thank you and ask that you would bless as we prepare to step into this next week. 
that you would make us your people who are, are readily, daily, faithfully prepared. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.